As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Congratulations, you found Straight Out of Cobham, the twice-weekly Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. Coming up on this episode, incoming defender, Nia or Fofana? Uh, well, this is awkward. Leicester, come to Stamford Bridge. We round up the rest of the transfer talk and there's the latest round of our never shambolic quiz. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. How you doing, listener? I hope you're well. We're back for another show. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined... Bye. Back from holidays and from assignment, it's Dominic Fifield. Uh, Dom, who do you think is likely to lose this weekend? <laughs> it's about who is to win, surely, now these <laughs> days. Uh, that's a brilliant joke and no one's going to understand it, judging by the number of people who've actually read that piece. But uh, there you go. Um, yes, all is good. All is good. I'm looking quite interested and quite intrigued to see how uh, Chelsea fare this weekend after having watched them from afar uh, last weekend. Coverage of Premier League football in France, incidentally, is amazing. Absolutely amazing. We can watch all the live games, goals as they fly in on the afternoon of the matches. And um, So I got a fair bit of the uh, the Chelsea game around Toulouse versus Lorient. <laughs> Excellent. Well, whatever saves them having to watch Ligue 1, I suppose. Um, Sam Parkin's also back with us. How are you doing, Sam? I'm doing very well, Matt. How are you doing? I'm all right, thanks. And I am pleased to say that we're going to start today by talking about an actual football match rather than transfers. It's Chelsea versus Leicester this weekend. We'll get into that next. Well, it's from the negotiating table to the pitch for Chelsea and Leicester City on Saturday. Joining us now to preview the game is the Athletics Leicester City reporter, Rob Tanner. Uh, Rob, we'll get to the actual game Shortly, but we've got to talk Wesley Fofana first. Chelsea making a, a £70 million offer that was rejected. So so what happens next? What's Leicester's actual position on this? Surely it's not tenable to keep him when he's so desperate to go. Yes, it's getting to that stage now. I mean, I could tell, speaking to Brendan after the Stockport game on Tuesday night, that he wants a resolution to this now because it's dragging on. He's He's got um, a very talented young player who's now training with the under-23s and his mind's not on playing. Um, so he wants it resolved either one way or another. Um, personally, I think they um, Chelsea come in with an improved offer this time. If it's closer to the valuation, which is over eighty million, that the eighty million they got for Harry Maguire from Man United, then I think that there could be a deal to be done. But the big problem is the longer this goes on, 
the less likely it will be because Leicester then will, will have no time to bring in a replacement and they've already got a weakened squad compared to the squad that finished last season. Uh, they lost Ricardo Pereira to, to injury. Casper Schmeichel's been sold. You know, there's there's other issues going on as well. Hamza Chowdhury's out of the squad. so And they haven't signed Adam Ola-Lukman. So, that, you know, the squad is weaker than it was last season. Um, to lose Fafana and not bring in a replacement would be a bit of a disaster from their point of view. And, um, and obviously, it's getting very close to the deadline. So does it need to be the actual final amount that needs to be increased or could it be, say, you know, improving what will pay you up front and then stagger the rest of it over a few years or are they resolute on it has to be a Maguire level final number to justify selling him? I think that's what they're looking for. I think they're looking because obviously to, to replace a player with Fafana, it's going to be expensive. I mean, there's a, a few players around in Europe that are potential targets, but, um, you know, they would be, um, very expensive to get out of their clubs at this late stage in the window. So, And, of course, every club that they approach then would be saying, well, we know you've got £80 million in, your, in the bank. So, you know, that, that suddenly increases the price as well. What goes around comes around, really. I mean, if you're asking top dollar for your talent, then don't expect other clubs not to do the same. We've spoken on this pod a couple of times about the possibility of maybe doing a bit of a deal with this. It's similar to what Chelsea did with um, Kukurea and Levi Colwell. They were obviously separate deals, but I'm sure they were part of the same negotiations broadly. Is there any interest from a Leicester perspective in, in maybe saying, well, why don't we take a Callum Hudson-Odoi or a Trevor Chalobah or a Billy Gilmore on loan for the season as part of this? I think it'd have to be a central defender um, to fill that void. Uh, I know there's other areas of the squad that Brendan Rodgers wants to or did want to improve um, in this strangest of strange transfer windows for Leicester. Uh, he wanted a, a, a right-sided winger as well. Um, he wanted another attacking midfielder. But defence is the area that of, of greatest concern, especially at centre-back. Um, he's lost all faith in Charles Sunchu and Yannick Vestergaard. Um, they both played at Stockport, but you know they're, they're behind Danny Amate now, who's really a makeshift centre-back. Um, in the pecking order and Danny will probably start alongside Johnny Evans at, at Stamford Bridge and Danny's not started the season very well. He's not looked very comfortable in the game so far, whether that's in a back three or a, or a back four. So that's a big area of concern. So I, ideally, it would have to be a, a talented centre-back that's going to come in. Rob, I, I know you've written a really good piece on the Athletic today about, about the various issues that are blighting Leicester City so far this season, but... The Fafana situation, in the past, Leicester would have were sort of considered masters of long-term planning. And if, if somebody did come in for one of their star players, there was almost another player waiting there on the taxi rank to come straight into the, into the first team to replace him. What's changed at Leicester? Well, the plan for this summer was to move Tielemans on. Now, uh, that, they always know that the model is, uh, they didn't do it last year, by the way, which is part of the problem. They've got financial concerns now is to sell one asset and then reinvest that money and strengthen other areas of the squad. And they've done it very, very well over the, over the years. And they've, they've managed to get some really good money for some of these, these talented players as well. I mean, I think Chelsea have paid Leicester £110 million, uh, for Kante and Drinkwater and Chilwell. But this time, it's come out a bit left field because the expected bid from Arsenal for Tielemans hasn't come in. I'm told because they're asking too much money well, this is what Arsenal view is, that it's too much money. Um, so he was earmarked as the one that wanted to go and was likely to go. That hasn't happened. Unexpectedly, they weren't planning to sell a Fafana or a Harvey Barnes or a James Madison in this window. 
Um, but they now find themselves in a situation with Fafana late in the window. Um, he's obviously had his head turned as well. He wants to go to Chelsea and they have to deal with that situation. But the financial picture at Leicester has changed. COVID's had a huge impact on them. King Power obviously is a tourism company, you know, duty-free air, um, hotels in Bangkok. So they've been hit massively by the pandemic and they support the club financially as well. The club is trying to be self-sufficient. Um, so uh, while they have posted losses of 120 million over the last three years, the permissible losses um, related to COVID, you know, they're not close to breaching FFP, certainly not in this country, but the UEFA guidelines are the ones that they're really concerned about because they're a lot stricter. Because um, obviously we've seen Everton, they can get away with anything really. <laughs> and um, But if they get post another big loss in the next financial accounts, um, then there real would be a concern. So they're trying to balance the books now. And this is why they haven't been able to move on the players that they want to move on because the prices are so high and the middle of the market has gone. It's just evaporated because of COVID because the clubs that, are, that would be interested in a, a surplus player at Leicester City can't afford, can't afford the wages, can't afford the fees. So they can't move them on. So it's deadlock. And so the only way to release that deadlock is really to sell a top asset and Fafana could be the one to go but it's so late in the window it's causing them all sorts of problems now yeah just on that on that Rob if they were to lose Fafana a another potentially would there be contingency to try and replace them before the window closes or are you are you fearful and is this the, the sense from the fans that this could, malaise could extend to the, the rest of this season yeah I think that's the big concern um, they would try they would certainly try to replace anybody that's, that goes out um, because that, that would release not only finances, but it would also release a place in the squad because the squad's full. They had a full squad last season. They had to leave Papi Mendy out. And you can't, if you're a cl- club of uh, Leicester's financial resources and revenue, you can't afford to be having players earning multi-millions a year sitting on the bench, not able to contribute because they can't get into the 25-man squad. So there need to be a, a space in the squad as well for a new signing. But if um, a Fafana goes, and it would, I think it'll only be a Fafana or, or nobody, then they've got to try to get somebody in. And they, they will be looking now. Well, they've been looking a long time ago, not just now. But they, they would have had targets in mind because Brendan wanted a left-sided centre-back to play alongside Johnny Evans and, and, and ultimately Fafana long-term. But um, you know, a lot of their targets now have gone. They've moved on to other clubs. Um, I, I was told Levi Colwell was one of the, the guys that they were looking at and, and very keen on, and um, so they, they, those those sort of deals they're, they're not happening now. I mean, Top Sober at uh, Bayer Leverkusen is one they've admired for several years, but he would be very expensive to get out. But they would try, but it's going to be tough. And if they go into the season without Fafana and without a replacement, um, I think the fans who have already started to turn return massively. Well, I guess if we're looking for, for a positive from a Leicester point of view, it's the fact that they've got a pretty good record against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, haven't they? Only lost on, on one of their last five visits. Quite often leave with at least a point in their back pocket. That would be a good result this weekend, wouldn't it? Given that they've only got one from three games so far. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think they've got Chelsea away, Manchester United, and if they're in the same form as they showed against Liverpool, that would be very difficult. And then Brighton away, who... Always seems to have the upper hand on Leicester at their own place. It's um, it, you know, you're looking at six games into the season then, and very few points on the board, and the alarm bells will be ringing then. Um, but coming to Stamford Bridge, I think it, 
it always seems to suited Leicester in the past to play against a top side because they don't sit deep. I mean, we saw against Stockport the other night, they basically had nine men on the edge of their own box for, for pretty much the entire game. And we're asking Leicester to, to break them down. I don't blame them. You know, they're elite two sides. They've done their research as well. Leicester do struggle against deep defences. Um, I mean, Roma did a great number on them in the uh, Conference League semi-final in that sort of sense, sitting deep and breaking fast. Uh, but whereas a Chelsea will be expected to come and dominate against them, um, same when they go to Liverpool, Man City, whatever, and they had a good result at Man City a couple of years ago. I think it was 5-2. Um, so they're a counter-attacking side. They like teams to come onto them and then break with pace with Harvey Barnes and, and Jamie Vardy. That's why I think they've they've done reasonably well on those occasions. This time, my concern is uh, mentally. You know, the morale has and confidence has li- been affected a little bit. They need a big performance to get them going. I think. Well, given how Chelsea played last week, it might be the mental fragility derby. Um, we shall see <laughs> on Saturday. Rob, thanks so much for your time today. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Rob Tanner there, read him only in The Athletic. Uh, Chelsea-wise then, Dom, they had this open training session on Tuesday at Stamford Bridge. Um, probably not the best timing for that to have happened, given what happened uh, in Yorkshire on Sunday. But we did see Mateo Kovacic out there as part of training. We recorded before Thomas Tuchel's press conference. But if he's able to take some part in the game on Saturday, that would be a massive boost, given how Chelsea was so easily swamped in midfield by Leeds. Yeah, absolutely. He's... Uh... He's been missed with each passing week, really. I mean, he's such a good player when he's on song and and, and showed real flashes of quality last season when 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 fit and firing. So yeah, they're desperate to get him back in. Uh, I had a bit of a. I listened to the podcast on on Monday post Leeds and um, listened to. I think it was Liam who was talking about Conor Gallagher and his Travai as a as a number six. Conor Gallagher is never going to be a number six for Chelsea. He's he's playing completely out of position at the moment. Uh, he needs to come to a club that no, stop it, Dom, stop it. He's going down a different road there. Um, so if you could if you could get Kovacic alongside Jorginho is the obvious one for this home game when you'd imagine Chelsea would have more of the ball, playing as a, as as those two central midfielders, the balance of the team will be a lot better. That that that's that's the logic as far as I can see. Um, so, yeah, if he's fit, he plays. Fascinating selection dilemma here for Thomas Tuchel, I think, Sam. Not not just in midfield, but all over the pitch. Obviously, Koulibaly is going to be suspended, but it doesn't seem like Tuchel fancies Trevor Chalaber anymore. I mean, if Chalaber doesn't play in this game and as Piliqueta does come into the back three, that then that is surely a sign that Chalaber has to go out on loan this season, right? Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think this is... It's a real fascinating weekend in prospect in terms of the team selection because I think a number of supporters that have watched the last few performances would call for wholesale changes. And we know that's not going to happen, but I think there probably is an argument for a Chalaber for this game. To a lesser degree, I can't see it happening, but Broya, I said if that front three continue to toil and don't get a goal, put him in, give him an opportunity. And I think with, you know, Rob touched on it um, earlier, the, the pace of, of Jamie Vardy. Um, will Reese James play in that back three again? We want to see him play higher up in an ideal world, but will he want to counteract that threat? That said, Jamie Vardy will probably run down the, the, the opposite channel, but there is probably an argument to play Chalibur in this game because the options have diminished defensively. So I think that's fascinating. I, I really do. And I wouldn't be surprised if someone comes in a little from the cold for this game 
Um, but there's not going to be, you know, four or five changes, a change in shape, because we know that Chelsea are liable of doing what they did to Tottenham. That's always in the back of my mind. When I'm just when you're writing them off, you know, we could see a really motivated, intense home performance against a team who, let's face it, are in worse nick than Chelsea right now, considerably worse nick. Sam, do you think that there's a chance that Cucurella comes in as a left-sided centre-half in this game when they play Ben Chilwell out left wing back against his old club just to get an, a, inject a bit more pace again into that into that back line in the absence of Koulibaly? Yeah, and I think you want to make as few changes as, as conceivably possible, ideally. You know, you don't want to have two outside centre-halves coming in from the cold, maybe. So that's why I think the selection won't be possibly as varied as it is as, as it could be and the calls will be from from the supporters I'm sure yeah I mean Kukurea and Chilwell down that left-hand side seems pretty straightforward to me and then that would be a straight decision maybe between Azpilicueta and Chalabur right-sided centre-half if James is going to play higher up the pitch but that, that's it again we have to wait and see if Loftus-Cheek continues you know I think there's a lot of good about the way he started this season it would have been a whole lot better had he got that goal in the opening five minutes the mm. other day and it would be a no-brainer now. So that's why we're all so frustrated, I think, with Ruben Loftus-Cheek because certainly the three of us know what he's capable of. If he could have added that end product in his last two performances in a Chelsea shirt, we wouldn't be you know, debating his inclusion from the off right now. So, yeah, no, I think there's a... I think definitely left side, Kukurea, Chilwell, this is the, the chance to, to go with that, that kind of formula. Uh, Sam mentioned the three up front, Dom. None of them have scored yet. Might Kai Havertz be hoping that Armando Breuer is not off the treatment table? Because that, that would feel like maybe a switch that could be made. Play Breuer through the middle and, and give Havertz a rest because you're not going to drop Sterling, are you? And, and Mount's always seemingly the first name on the team sheet. Yeah, and, and you know, I suppose Tuchel could put Breuer in in the hope that sort of for a home home start, desperate to show what he can do to the to the home supporters as well. Um, he, he'll, he won't lack for enthusiasm and energy. Um, and maybe that sort of, that dynamism up top is what Chelsea have been slightly missing, maybe. I, I, I watch Kai Havertz sometimes and, and, and do, he, he does look as if he goes in on himself sometimes and he, things don't quite go his way in, in matches. So, but that, that, that's certainly one option they could they could pursue. I mean, you're right. I, I, I can't see Sterling losing his place. Um in that front three and, and Mount is a bit of a fixture. It's still, I suppose Tuchel might look at it as a bit of a risk. I mean, he has, he has pinned some pretty much all his faith on that front three so far. It maybe hasn't been justified, but he might, the stubborn side of Thomas Tuchel might want to, to pursue it one more time to see if it, if it yields some dividends, but it's nice having Breuer as an option, particularly after how well he did in, in, in periods at Southampton last season. And with Southampton at home on the horizon, if he's not available for this weekend, that might be a game to to put him in for. And I agree with Dom. I think it just feels a little bit too early to dismiss this front three. Um, that said, you know, Havertz and Mount were so off it. Would he see this as an opportunity to give them a little bit of a rest, just take them out of the firing line? Um, Sterling, I think, has been unlucky. You think he's... He conceivably could have had two goals now, disallowed marginally at Everton and it was a brilliant finish the other day. So is he just having a, a bit of an unlucky start? Because he could be flying, could be sitting here with two goals, um, could be full of confidence. And as it is, we're all really questioning whether this three is going to get the return of goals or 
if someone needs to come in now to to you know be the the eighteen yard box player, which is which is a strong argument right now when you see the the, the lack of assists and goals that they're contributing. Yeah, let's not quite label him Retimo Sterling. Yeah, there's still plenty of time. And that's a good point that Sam makes about the upcoming games as well. Leicester on Saturday, then at Southampton Tuesday, West Ham at home in no sort of form and Fulham at the cottage to come to before Liverpool in the middle of September. Well, it's a three o'clock kickoff at Stamford Bridge on Saturday. Of course, we'll react to that in our Monday pod when we'll also give our thoughts on the Champions League draw, which is happening tonight as we record. Uh, speaking of draws, the Blues will play Manchester City away from home in the third round of the Carabao Cup when that gets underway in November. All right, we'll have a little chat about transfers next. Hello, I'm James Richardson. If, like me, you've ever felt like one of Cantona's cows watching gamely as football steams past like an express train, then why not join me three times a week over on the Totally Football Show? This Monday, for example, I'll be joined by Daniel Storey, Tom Williams and Benji Lignardo to explain what actually happened this Premier League weekend. Huh. Tuesday, it's the turn of the Euro crew, Horncastle, Honigstein, Alvaro Romeo and Julian Laurence to drop knowledge on all the continent's big stories, including this week the biggest last-minute comeback in Bundesliga history. Woof. Thursday then, it's back to our septic aisle to preview the weekend's Premier League games again with data beta Duncan Alexander and this week, analysis from Karl Anker and Adrian Clark. Join us then for cogent insight, fun and a few feeble puns plus the odd move from me. Just search for The Totally Football Show wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right. Uh, I'm sure we're all getting a bit of transfer window fatigue right now, um, but we ought to have a chat about what's going on anyway. Anthony Gordon, our friend Liam Toomey, has written about this for The Athletic, pointing out that £60 million is a lot of money for someone who scored four goals in 35 Premier League games last season, three of which were deflected, according to Liam. Uh, he also only won his first England under-21 cap in November. Um, Dom, it seems to me amongst the press amongst Chelsea supporters, there's an awful lot of hand-wringing going on over this move, particularly the fact that he's so close in age to Callum Hudson-Odoi, who seems to be on his way out. I wonder if we can find anything positive to say about Anthony Gordon potentially coming in to Chelsea. Well, his performances in a poor Everton team are are a source of positivity. I mean, he, he has been their their probably the most consistent player. I mean, Richarlison last season maybe um, slightly edged in, but but Gordon was the sort of talismanic local figure that was doing well for Everton and, and almost keeping the supporters' spirits up during a pretty desperate campaign. But that's, you know, how he's, how he's assessed by Evertonians, though, should not be why Chelsea should go out and buy him. That's that's the problem, because I think there was a there was a period where Ross Barkley was... was considered in pretty much the same way until it also ended on a bit of a sour note at, at Goodison. It's it's a strange one. It's I suppose it sort of comes into the buying potential category that Chelsea have sort of had 
that's that's one half of their transfer policy this summer, buying young talent with the future in mind. But they aren't half spending an awful lot of money doing that. It's and there's no guarantee that these guys are necessarily going to kick on. I mean, they, they they're obviously very talented, super talented players, but but that's a that's a pretty lavish investment on on. I think this would be the third, wouldn't it? A third really young player coming in with with very much like years and years ahead in mind as opposed to now. So of all the transfers that Chelsea have either completed or or really, really pushed for or come close to to doing this summer, this is the one that baffles me most. Is it an area of the team that they need to strengthen in necessarily? Are there not other priorities in the side? What why are they why are they looking to do this now? Why is he suggesting privately that by coming to Chelsea his World Cup prospects might be enhanced surely there'll be it'll be the opposite he'll be a squad player at Chelsea where he's a first team regular at, at Everton I, it, there are lots and lots and lots of question marks about it but if Thomas Tuchel is has seen something in him that that he feels he's he he, he needs to snap up he, he wants to work with him I suppose we have to sort of go with that but it surprises me Sam, I guess what it is, and, and you can bundle in Aubameyang with this, obviously very different profiles in terms of age of play or whatever, but but it shows again, if as we are led to believe, Anthony Gordon is a Thomas Tuchel pick, it shows that he is getting the full backing of Todd Bowley and the, and the new ownership, doesn't it? There could be no doubt about that because it is a really left field transfer. Definitely, and they have to back the manager's judgment if he's, if he's the guy. And yeah, there is something positive in that. I can't disagree with anything that Dom says. I think a strange is probably the best word to sum it up. There, there are clearer areas in the team that need strengthening in front of this position. But I think in terms of his characteristics, if I could just add this, I think he is slightly different from what they've got currently. I think he, I think he's a really good traveller with the ball. I think moving at speed, I think he can probably go either way. I think he's probably got a better touch than, say, a Pulisic. There's probably similarities to what he can do receiving the ball to a Ziyech, but I think he probably does it quicker uh, in the final third. And I've always enjoyed watching him, but I didn't imagine that this type of money was going to be paid for him at this stage of his career. So I think that's why it's taken everyone a little bit by surprise. But maybe it is part of this new strategy, getting ahead of the field. And the likelihood is that Manchester United or the like, Manchester City, sorry, um, when well, ten years ago, there, uh, Liverpool, you know, would 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 fancy taking him. So there's no doubt that he's got the potential to be a top player, but it's questionable as to whether he gets in the side straight away. Of course, and and if you're developing him, you're developing him for Chelsea, Don, because it's not like you're going to sell him to one of your domestic rivals, and it's not like anybody else has got any money to buy these kinds of players at the minute. Does does this kind of highlight the fact that Chelsea need to get a proper sporting director in as soon as possible because there's a sort of scattergun nature to a lot of these transfer dealings and, and you feel if there was somebody with experience and, and knowledge of the industry that, that maybe things would be shaping up a little differently. Well, yes. I mean, they they clearly do need to get a sporting director in and they acknowledge that. they That is some, a process that's ongoing, finding that right figure to, to guide recruitment and squad building and future planning, etc., I, I don't know whether it would have had a major effect necessarily on things like this this summer. I mean, 
Chelsea are in this position largely because they've they almost well they were par- paralysed for a period last season, but they 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 almost allowed this to happen to themselves. I mean, with with the players that have left, this revamp that that the summer has required is a almost a legacy of the previous regime and and almost negligence to a certain extent. I mean, that's probably a bit harsh, but but that you know when you lose two centre halves who have for nothing and 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 the Lukaku fiasco etc and 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 you know when your midfield is suddenly all aging together and all going out of contract pretty much at the same time it's it's these are things that if you'd had a a long-term vision and a a sporting director in place who was who was thinking two three years ahead you know two three years back they wouldn't be in this position now so it would have been a difficult task for, if they'd appointed one this summer, but I mean, they they will appoint one, and you'd imagine that in in future they they won't need to be this haphazard with with their with their transfer policy. But at the moment, it's it's a sort of mixture of needing to fill large holes in the team, needing to satisfy a, a head coach who who has serious concerns about the makeup of his squad, and needing to make a bit of a splash. New owners in the Premier League wanting to show that they still mean business and they can. They can almost maintain the the standards of success that the previous owner established. All right, so we'll wait and see on Gordon and Aubameyang. Aubameyang seems to be a case of maybe Barca dropping the price a bit for a player that they got for absolutely nothing in January. But hey, it's Barcelona, so we'll wait and see what happens with that. Um, in terms of outgoings, Emerson to West Ham, 13 million plus a couple more in add-ons, according to Fabrizio Romano. Sounds like a good deal. Um, he's probably going to shank in a, a last-minute winner when the teams meet at the London Stadium in February. That tends to be what happens. What about Callum Hudson-Odoi? What's your views on this? Don Bayer Leverkusen, we hear. Um, I don't know. I can't make my mind up on this. On the, on the one hand, they're in the Champions League and the Bundesliga seems to be a good place for, for attacking players. But is he going to be out of sight, out of mind there? Would it be better going to a Premier League side? The Bundesliga is a is a good league for him to express himself and to also improve with regular game time, good standard. Uh, he's he's been courted by so many German teams over the years. It'd be nice for him to actually go and show them what you can actually do in person. Um, they've struggled so far, I think, in the league, haven't they? But but you know they, they've, they're a talented squad who will improve presumably. Um, so I, I I think it's I think it makes a a bit of sense to be honest. Um, I, I do wonder, as as we mentioned earlier, whether Leicester's desire to to strengthen attacking wise means that there's a late twist in this tail potentially, because he would be an obvious target for them to to go for. Uh, but for now, if if it goes through, through to to buy Leverkusen, then yeah, I, I think he'll do well there, and it'll it'll serve him well in terms of getting himself back into into some rhythm of games, and hopefully, um, I don't know, living up to the potential that we know he's got. Uh, yeah, they'll want to get him in quickly, Leverkusen. Lost every game this season, including getting knocked out of the cup to lower league opposition. Um, Sam, do you think Bundesliga is a good calling point for, for hudson Adoy, and, and do you think that that's likely to lead to something permanent? If you were him, would you be looking for a, a permanent exit from Chelsea or still thinking, hey, I can have a good season and come back and impress Thomas Tuchel or, or maybe somebody else? I think there's no harm in a loan. Try and get into the head of a... A uh, player that was much more talented than me in his early 20s, <laughs> what would I have done? Um, I'd probably go to the Northampton, yes, please, you'd have said. 
And Especially, did. yeah, they sent me there with a Chelsea teammate of mine. It was it was glorious until uh, <laughs> neither of us performed for the first three months and got uh, <laughs> copious amounts of stick. Um, I'd go to the Bundesliga, I, I would think. Um, you're very much in the spotlight, I suppose, if he goes to the Premier League and it didn't happen for him straight away. And then there'd be a whole kind of... Um, I don't know, everyone would be questioning why this this talent hasn't risen to the top that we all kind of um, preempted a few years ago. So maybe go to the Bundesliga and yes, be off the radar to a degree, but just to revitalise his confidence, get some goals, um, play every week and then come back and um, and then have a, have a think, you know, with his people and with the club about where his future is then. Um, I think, you know, if you went off to a club and they struggled in the Premier League and you didn't uh, hit the ground running, then then your 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 stock could be even lower. So yeah, that's what I do. And you know, I, I'm frustrated sitting here now as a as a washed up former player. I wish I'd have gone and done it. To be honest, the uh, the furthest I made it was uh, Perthshire. <laughs> Lovely at this time of year. Uh, listener, as you know, with podcasting, inevitably we'll publish this and then all those transfers we've spoken about will either be cancelled or they'll all end up going somewhere <laughs> else. The best thing to do is head to The Athletic's live transfer blog. All the latest news updated regularly there. Head to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod if you aren't currently a subscriber. Uh, so that's outgoings then. By the way, I'm told that Marcos Alonso is in danger of losing the deposit on his Airbnb just off Las Ramblas. So he'll want to get that sorted uh, sooner rather than later. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, uh, some very worrying news to report regarding the women's team. Goalkeeper Anne-Katrin Berger has announced that the thyroid cancer she was first diagnosed with in 2017 has returned. As she said, I'm working closely with my club doctor and specialist in London and my treatment will start this week. I remain positive that my treatment will be as effective as last time and I'm looking forward to returning to the pitch and seeing you all at Kings Meadow and Stamford Bridge. We send her our very best wishes for a speedy recovery. Uh, meanwhile, Guru Wright has signed a new three-year deal. The 28-year-old been a key player since signing from LSK in 2019. She's won three league titles and the League Cup and FA Cup twice each two. Uh, Serena Wiegmann named her first England post-Euros win squad. Injury means Frank Kirby's not selected, but Millie Bright, Jess Carter and Bethany England all retain their places, whilst Lauren James has also been called up for the World Cup qualifiers against Austria and Luxembourg next month. Uh, the women's team have a friendly against Spurs at Kings Meadow on Sunday. In terms of the men's academy sides, the under-21s play reigning champions Manchester City also at Kings Meadow. That's on Friday night. They then begin their EFL trophy campaign away at Sutton United on Wednesday. And meanwhile, the under-18s are at Southampton on Saturday morning. All right, it's high time we did a quiz. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Listener, you know the drill. The contestants get three questions each. Chelsea v Leicester related this week. It quickly descends into farce. And then producer Lucy spends the rest of her day trying to tidy up in the edit. Um, Okay, Don, you're going first. You've got the easiest question of the whole quiz to kick off with. Whose first Chelsea goal came against Leicester at Stamford Bridge in 2019? Um, uh, I think I went to that game. Was that the one-all draw? Certainly was. uh, Mason Mount. Absolutely correct. Uh, Sam, here you go. <laughs> Back What's in October- happened to Dom? What's know, happened to him the last few quizzes? He's been, he's been here. I've been, I've, I've yeah. been inspired by you, Sam. Came up with the ruse of a trip to Toulouse just to <laughs> yeah, prep just up on Leicester City. Yeah. Normally I'm thinking Incredible. this is a guaranteed three points when I see <laughs> oh! pop up in the morning. <laughs> oh, that's harsh. Wow. <laughs> well, that was a, what I think was the easiest question of the quiz. So let's see if that standard continues. Here's your first one, Sam. Back in October 2007, Chelsea beat Leicester 4-3 at Stamford Bridge in a ding-dong of a Carling Cup tie. Carl Court was amongst the Leicester scorers. To which current Chelsea player is he related and how? Oh, wow. Well, I played with his brother, Leon Court. Ex-Palace? Yeah. Very nice boy. And I've spent some time in Cole Court's company. Try saying that three times fast. (laughs) I don't know who they're both related to. Dom's rubbing his chin. That's just got a scratch. Just going to think about where Leon's from. I think he's from over that way. I will go for... I'd say they're related to the Chalabas. Dom, would you like to steal? Uh, Courts. Courts of South London, aren't they? So That was my thinking. It's either going to be... A Loftus Cheek or a Hudson? Let's go Loftus Cheek. That is correct. Do you know the relationship? <sighs> Absolutely no idea, but it's a great guess and I'm going to celebrate all night. Okay, I'm giving <laughs> you a half point for that because I did say I needed the relationship. Oh, right. Okay, well, let me work it out then. Uh, second cousins? No, half brother. <laughs> only found out quite um, only a couple of years ago, apparently, that they're half brothers. So there you go. Uh, the dad was obviously a decent footballer. So it's one and a half nil. Uh, Dom, if you put this in, you're in a great position. <laughs> Who left Chelsea to join Leicester in 2015? I hope you don't get this straight away because I was really, really pleased with myself when I came up with this one. Who left Chelsea to join Leicester in 2015? Uh, Mark Schwarzer. Oh, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Sam, you need to get these two right to only lose by half a point. I had both uh, is, but it's always the way, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, which <laughs> Champions League winner scored their first Chelsea goal in a 5-2 home win against Leicester in the 2012 FA Cup quarterfinal? I don't even understand the question. 2012. <laughs> <laughs> so in, 20, in 2012, Chelsea yeah. played Leicester in the FA Cup quarterfinal. Of course, they won right. the Champions League that year too, didn't they? One player scored their first goal for Chelsea during that FA Cup quarterfinal in that year. 5-2 win at the bridge. So they scored um, that goal. Then a few months later, they were part of the team that won the Champions League. Ryan Bertrand. It's good, but it's not right. 
Tom? It's the best it's the best possible answer, isn't it, really? Well the right one. Considering so, the story, yeah. Twenty twelve, um uh that was March, that was Di Matteo was was there at the time. Um Fierce Boas had the January window. Gary Cahill. Gary Cahill, he's absolutely flying today. <laughs> he joined that 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 January, didn't he? From um he did, Bolton. From Bolton, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, okay, Dom, if you get this, I mean, we're talking unprecedented levels. I might just sit back, to be fair. Light a cigar and sleep. <laughs> Make it a nervy finish. Go on. Yeah. Sit on the edge uh, of your box. Well, you, you just concentrate on clawing back some respectability, Sam, because this has been miles <laughs> My questions have been ridiculous, standard. by the way. Uh, yeah, question. I've got both of them right. That's weird. Yeah, yeah. Depends <laughs> who you ask. George Weyer scored against Leicester in a 2-1 win in the FA Cup at the bridge in 2000. What's Weyer's current job? Uh, he's president of Liberia. Didn't even need time to think about it. Just well, I did write a feature on him. Oh. <laughs> <So> <laughs> bit unfair, that one. <laughs> would you have got that, Sam? I would have had a guess. <laughs> right, OK. Let's see if you can have an accurate guess at this one. The final question of what has been a humiliating five minutes. Uh, which Nigerian international currently playing in Serie A made his Chelsea debut as a sub in a 3-0 win against Leicester in 2016? Nigerian international, give me the rest yeah. of it. Currently playing in Serie A, made his Chelsea debut as a sub in a 3-0 win against Leicester in 2016. I'll give you a clue because you've been... Yeah, I, I think I know who it is. Well, okay. I've got an answer. Just Nigerian international. Victor Moses. Moses. No? Was he, where did he say he was playing? In Italy? Yeah, in Serie A. <laughs> oh, I've got it as well. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him then, Dom. Ola Aina. It's correct. Oh, blimey. <laughs> the thing is, I don't even think I've done that badly there. That's just an unbelievable <laughs> performance from Dom. My questions were yeah. horrendous. It, it, it's more horrendous. about Dom's brilliance than, yeah. than your yeah. own. My, my, my questions were oh, a joke. I'm just going to retire now. Can I just retire? Can I just never come back on, please? I mean, I'm sure the listeners will be happy with that. But When, when the question is like three paragraphs, <laughs> I, I, I don't really want to know. Just ask me who scored for Chelsea last season in the Leicester draw. You see, I wouldn't have actually got that. I, I, I didn't pay any attention last season whatsoever, as the listeners well know. Oh, dear. Right, some thinking to be done in the parking camp, I think. Some questions to be asked. Uh, hopefully you can come back from that. But, Dom, well done. The thing I love about this is that Sam really takes... This is a sportsman in Sam that comes out of it. He really takes this badly. I, I'll get battered by, on, on WhatsApp for the rest of this week now. You, you so-and-so and no, all you, you were incredible there, Dom, but I've been done no favours by the team. <laughs> I'll bear that in mind. Um, right, Don, we teased it earlier. Tell us a bit more about your, your trip to Toulouse. It wasn't just because you wanted to talk to Philippe Montagnier about his couple of months in charge of Forest. No, it's, look, Toulouse got promoted back to Ligue 1 um, last season. They, they are very much a, a club on the up in a, in a city that is buying into what they're doing now. They, they, they were taken over by Redbird, um, who have a stake in Fenway Sports Group at Liverpool, uh, are buying AC Milan, who that, that deal goes through on the 6th of September. Um, American private equity, they're being run by Damian Camoli, ex-Spurs, ex-Liverpool, um, Arsenal scout as well. And it's it's really a story about a club that's that's come back from the, one of the most humiliating seasons ever in French football, finishing bottom of Ligue 1 in the, in the pandemic season. 
and the rebuild and how they've done it. And they've, they've done it quite a clever way with a lot of good marketing, good merchandising. They've communicated, which, you know, we we would like to see all our clubs do better, I'm sure. Um, but they, they really have done that with their, their supporter base and the city itself in Toulouse. Uh, and their recruitment, which is very data-driven um, and innovative in the way it's in the way that they approach the market. So it's a couple of pieces um, just behind the scenes, and I was they, it was brilliant to to be there. They they gave me fantastic access. I'm really really grateful for the the time they gave the athletic, and um, I hope I hope the pieces read well because um, Toulouse are a a real example for a, a lot of other clubs to follow. I think. Excellent stuff. Do check that out. Remember, The Athletic doesn't just do podcasts on Chelsea. Sam, you were on The Athletic Football Podcast talking to Mark Chapman earlier this week. What did you have a chat about? Oh, the the EFL, not uh, footballing family dynasties from South London, starting with the <laughs> Loftus Cheeks and the Courts. Then I'm going to do the Allens, followed by the Wallaces of Southampton fame. Um, yeah, so uh, <laughs> a quick, uh, quick so dive. bitter, isn't it? So bitter. <laughs> a quick dive into the uh, into the EFL. Very, very much uh, enjoyed it. A uh, bit of a focus on Ipswich under Kieran McKenna, ex Manchester United, and Neil Wood, who's at, at Salford. So um, yeah, focused on them a little bit. But just all the all the big stories. Really, it's really good fun. Are you at a game this weekend? And if so, why is it Millwall Reading? I am. I'm covering the two aforementioned games at Kings Meadow. So the PL2 Friday night and the women's game Sunday, and uh, an appearance on the ITV Football League highlight show sandwich in between. Excellent. Busy boy. Uh, elsewhere on The Athletic, Liam's teamed up with John Muller to analyse how good or otherwise Edouard Mendy is with his feet. So do check that out. Remember, athletic.com slash Chelsea pod is the place to go to sign up. It'll only cost you a pound a month for your first six months. That'll do us for today. They will be back on Monday looking back on that Leicester game and we'll see who Chelsea got in the Champions League as well. Uh, do join us for that if you can. Until then, many thanks for your company today. Thanks to, to Rob Tanner for joining us earlier, to Dom and to Sam and to producer Lucy. We'll catch up with you Monday. Have a great weekend. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.